Look around, what do you see? Cars, lots of them. And guess what? They're probably on Auto Trader. Whether you're into timeless classics or the latest trends, did somebody say solar-powered, eco-friendly, vegan, leather-wrapped, aromatherapy-scented, disco ball-equipped, self-driving car? If you see it on the road, you can likely find it on Auto Trader. Big cars, small cars, blue cars, new cars, used cars, electric cars, and one day, maybe even flying cars. With millions of options to choose from, buying a car becomes a whole lot easier. See it. Find it. Auto Trader. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts brought to you by the reinvented 2012 camry it's ready are you Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is the um, intrepid paleontologist, Charles W. Chuck Bryant. <laughs> That's terrible, wasn't it? <laughs> no, I like it. Oh, okay. I wish I was a paleontologist. Well, it's your new nickname, though. Or intrepid, at least. Let's just go with paleontologist. That'd be great. Okay. We're talking fossils today, dude. This is in- really interesting stuff. It really is. And um, you can tell that Tracy Wilson, our esteemed um, head of the writing editor, I think she's site director site, now for yeah, House of Forks. Site director. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can tell that she was very, very excited. She took her time and really doled this one out. I think... Um, Savor is the right word. You can feel it, her smiling through the keyboard. <laughs> yeah. She's very happy to write how fossils work. And um, we're happy to do it because it's one of those very comprehensive articles on the site that you just ha- it has everything you need. Sedimentary rock, flat bones versus round bones, leaf impressions. It has it all. Unless you're an intrepid paleontologist, then we'll get an email saying, it actually wasn't very comprehensive. Right. <laughs> you guys royally screwed this up. We just wait until we get into uh, punctuated versus gradual evolution. <sighs> Chuck, um, you've heard of Lucy, right? The Australopithecus? Yeah. Okay, well, um, she was, I think, 3.2 million years old. That's one old lady. It, it really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the earliest hominid we've found, as far as I know. Um but there's a, a part of her foot missing. It's always been missing that we've never found before. So this thing, this bone was so essential that we couldn't tell how she walked until recently. Why? Because the missing bone, we couldn't tell how she walked? Exactly. Wow. Uh, we, we, we can tell so much from bones that when we don't have the right bones, we can't tell anything. So she may have been in a knuckle dragger. Sure. She may have hopped. 
Okay. We didn't know. Okay. <laughs> well, recently, um, some people from the University of Missouri, or Missouri, depending on whether or not you live in the state, um, found the uh, the group of foot bones needed to show what kind of walker Lucy was. And she walked upright. How was her gait? Upright? Upright, just like a human. She had a hitch in her get along? She had a, a pep in her step. Okay, good. Possibly. I she was in love. love. She knew she'd be famous one day. Sure. She was in love. Yeah. <laughs> With Tuck Tuck. But, but consider this, right? Okay. 3.2 million year old foot bones were found. Mm-hmm. And we could tell from them how she walked. This is the state of the field that you remember, paleontology. Pretty cool. This is how advanced it is. And yet, it's really just kind of using common sense to figure out what old bones mean. Yeah, common sense and science. Fossils. Go. <laughs> Let's talk about it, Chuck. What are some of the different kinds of fossils? Uh, well, one of my favorite kinds is a <laughs> trace fossil. Yeah, that's actually one of my favorites, too. It's like um, that uh, Jesus footprint thing. Yeah. <laughs> Footprints in the sand? Yeah. yeah. It sort of is, Josh. Um, that is when it's actually not part of the organism at all, but it's um, like uh, tooth marks in, in a chunk of wood from a saber-toothed tiger. Or footprints. Or footprints. Or uh, trackways, as Tracy calls them. Yes, Footprints, trackways. It's, it's just unnecessary, but it, it has a pleasant tone. Oh, you know science. Yeah. They're, like, they're not footprints. They're trackways. I'm bored in Ethiopia. <laughs> Let's call them trackways. So trace fossils is one. Of course, there's bone fossils, right? The most famous fossils. Yeah, those are great, too. They got nothing on trace fossils, though. Actually, bone fossils, that's, that's what you really want. If you're going to reconstruct a dinosaur for your museum, you can't do it with footprints. No, you can't. You need the bones. You do. <laughs> and the bones are, of course, the most famous ones, and the dinosaur bones are the most famous of all the bone types, right? So yes. there's something that I think um, is often uh, missed by lay people such as myself um, in, in that when you find a bone, right? So you find like a big old dinosaur bone. Mm-hmm. It's really, t- geologically speaking, it's not a bone any longer. Yeah, it's not like you find a bone buried in your yard that was an animal from like, you know, 35 years ago. Uh, well, you could, still, but that's not a fossil. Well, no, it's still bone. A fossil is a bone or a piece of um, once living organic material mm-hmm. that's undergone a transition from uh, an organic state to an inorganic state. That's what a fossil is. Yeah. It's gone through the process of fossilization. And most of these uh, fossils, the vast majority of fossils, are found in sedimentary rock. Before we go any further, we should probably do a little brief primer on sedimentary rock, right? Which yeah. is awesome. Yeah, it's pretty easy, too. Uh, we've talked about the Earth's core um, and layers when I think we talked about earthquakes and maybe some other stuff. We all know that there's the inner core, outer core, <laughs> and we got the crust. Crust is the thinnest layer, and that's where the fossils are. That's where the goods are. Yes. And... Uh, most of the rocks in the crust are sedimentary rocks that you've been talking about off right. and on for the past eight minutes. Right. And that's like uh, silty, sandy stuff that hardened over the years. Right. I mean, um, but the, the earth, remember we talked about, oh, what was it? Clouds? Sure. I can't remember what podcast it was, but we talked about how much sand is transferred from Africa to South America annually. 
Yeah, it wasn't clouds, but yeah. You you remember the one yeah, I'm talking yeah. about? Uh-huh. Okay, so the the Earth's geo bio geochemical processes equal a lot of movement oh, of yeah. particulate matter, right? The Earth is dynamic, baby. It is. It's also very fluid too, mm-hmm. right? A lot of that matter is at, at at one point as suspended particles in water that's moving around, right? Yeah. So um, as this as the water leaves. And the sediment is deposited. Mm-hmm. It builds up and up and up over time. It hardens into rock, and eventually we have sedimentary rock, yeah. which is below our feet. We don't normally see it unless, say, the Colorado River um, winds over it for you know millions and millions and millions of years, revealing the sedimentary rock that's in the Earth's crust. A la Grand Canyon. Exactly. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I forgot the Grand Canyon <laughs> part. So you know how I said the Earth was dynamic, baby? Yeah. Uh, that's important. I didn't just throw that in there as a factoid. It's important because when these plates shift around, that's how fossils are unearthed. Things can be moved great distances and pushed to the surface eventually or close enough to where a dig can unearth it. And uh, it's like just because it's fossilized doesn't mean it's stuck in that one spot forever because Earth is always moving. So the point of all this is, is sedimentary rock um is, like you said, dynamic. It moves around. Sometimes fossils pop up, or it becomes exposed all of the Colorado River. Yeah. Um, and that is where fossils are, right, Chuck? Yes. So let's say that at some point in time there was a dinosaur or a saber-toothed tiger or a um, cyanobacteria. Woolly mammoth? Woolly mammoth, sure. Right. Um, and it's um, hanging out around a riverbed, and it has a massive heart attack and falls over in the riverbed. And very quickly, it becomes covered with sediment and silt, right? Yeah, and that's important because once it starts getting covered up with stuff, it's sort of being protected from, like all of fossil, let's just break the news. All of fossil means is that something has been protected from the natural decomposition process. Otherwise, it would just decompose like everything else and you wouldn't see it anymore. You've just totally betrayed Tracy in the tone <laughs> she lent to this, the, the whole drama, drawn-out suspense. But that's true. So what you said was right. So you'd fall over in a riverbed. You start getting covered up with the sediment and mm-hmm. silt, mm-hmm. and it's it's immediately starting to protect you in a way. Right. Um, Not you, but whatever, the woolly mammoth. The woolly mammoth. Um, the thing is that in this sediment, in this silt, you can't really hide from uh, macrobacteria uh, and other forms of life that are basically dedicated to breaking down organic matter, soft yeah. tissue, sure. hair, all, eyeballs, mm-hmm. um, genitalia, all that kind of stuff. It eventually becomes broken down, and what's left is the hard stuff, the bone, right? But the bone also has organic material within it as well. Yeah, and that'll break down. Uh, we're talking blood cells, uh, collagen, fat. That's going to break down, too. The key here is the inorganic parts of the bone remain intact. Right. And like, it's the other key word here is porous. Yes. Well, you take calcium, I imagine, for your hips. Who, me? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Glucosamine, calcium. Sure. And so what you're doing is um, you're fortifying the calcium that's already in your hips, supposedly. Right. Um, and Because the bone is made in large part of calcium, which is a mineral, mm-hmm. which is in- inorganic. So as all the organic stuff dies out, What's left is, like you said, the um, inorganic, like calcium, whatever minerals, and that holds the shape, right? Yeah, the initial structure. 
is kept intact. Right. But like you said, this bone is also porous. Yeah, that's the key. And over time, um, other mineral sediment kind of, um, it, it, it enters into yeah. these, these microscopic pores. Iron. Right. Carbonate. Yeah. And fortifies this, if it ultimately turning this, what was once a, an organic bone into an inorganic rock in the shape of the bone. Yeah. But for all intents and purposes, it's still the bone. It still has that er- original calcium. Yeah. It's still the, the same thing. It's not like a replica of it. It's just become fossilized. Yeah. And Tracy uh, in the article uses a pretty good example, I thought. It's like filling a sponge with glue. Uh, the, the sponge is going to keep the shape, but the glue is going to ooze through all the spots that it can ooze, mm-hmm. harden, right. and there you go. You've got a, a hard got sponge. A, a hard sponge. <laughs> Which is basically what a fossil is. And this takes place, Josh, over the course of millions of years. The sediment reinforcing the bones eventually becoming rock. It's not the kind of thing that happens willy-nilly over thousands of years. Right. It takes a long time. And it just, it, it, this isn't just um, happening by itself. All of the surrounding area um, is being deposited with sediment as well. Mm-hmm. It's also turning into rock. Um, and then the ultimate test of time for a fossil is that it can withstand the pressure yeah. of the, that's mounted by the, the hardening rock sedimentary rock that's growing around it. So it can be crushed? Is that how? Sure. I, okay, that's I how I imagine a lot it. of fossils are definitely crushed. Crushed to death. Poor guys. Um, but w- if it survives and you can find this, you will eventually be able to get to it. Yeah. And then you remove the rock from around the fossil and there's your bone that you can take to the Natural History Museum and get at least $500 for. <laughs> when you were a kid, Josh, let me ask you this. Did you ever go into the woods on a little nature course from like a science center, let's say, and do a cast, plaster cast of a animal footprint? Did you ever do that? No. Really? Really. I did that. We went and found like deer hoof prints. You fill it with plaster and there was some way of doing it where you got a, an inverse plaster cast of a deer hoof print. Right. That can happen actually in a way that with trace fossils. So you can... You know, sediment can act the same way in one of these, let's say uh, the woolly mammoth makes a footprint in mm-hmm. some loose but sturdy soil. Mm-hmm. That fills up with sediment and creates basically a mold, just like I did as a kid with the plaster cast. Yeah, as long as the um, sediment that fills it in is lighter or thinner yeah. than the soil that the impression's made in, mm-hmm. then yeah, it would it would, it would would preserve that track. Yeah, and plants can do the same thing. It's not just bones we're talking about. Right. Um, it can also fill in in a different way, I guess the opposite way, to where it makes a basically a cast of the foot that made the track. Oh yeah. And then so it's like a, a kind of like a fossil of a ghost foot that's yeah. not really there, but it makes the foot. It's like an inverse cast. Oh okay, yeah. Of not the track, but the foot that made the track. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Pretty cool. You know what other another uh, my favorite trace fossil is. It's not a trackway? It's coprolite. I changed my mind. That is a good one. That's dung. It's poop. Fossilized poop. That's right. It can tell you a lot about an animal. It can tell you about its fiber intake. Yeah. It can tell you about what size its poop was. Yeah. Um, Chuck, you know in the 80s, the uh, CIA found out much about Gorbachev and his health. They found out he had like cancer or some sort of chronic illness. Um by stealing his poop. Really? When he was when he came on a state visit to the US, they took his poop and analyzed it. And when How'd they Reagan get the poop? he was in the US, they just grabbed it from the toilet. 
did he not flush? I, I, I just want more specifics that you probably don't have. As far as I understand, okay. they probably his hotel room or wherever he was staying, they were prepared to do this. This so wasn't they had a, like a toilet rigged, probably. Yes. Okay. But wherever Reagan went, they had a portable toilet that he used. It was the only one he was Shut allowed up. to use. Really? I'm not kidding. So no one could steal his poop. Yep. Wow. Talk about paranoid. Yeah, seriously. When you point one finger, there's three pointing back at you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Josh, that is sedimentary rock, and that's, to me, one of the cooler ways you can get a fossil. Uh, petrified wood, too. Don't leave that one out. Oh, yeah, sure. It's basically the same thing that we just described for bone, yeah. but for wood. Yeah. Hard as a rock because it is a rock. There you go. All right, so like I just said, um, that was sedimentary rock, and that's kind of fun, but you can also... Uh, get a fossil. Why is that funny? Because uh, one dies in a cave that's really dry. Yeah, desiccation. Yeah, desiccation is basically uh, sort of a mummification, but it's not like we think of with mummification with the uh, Egyptian tombs or anything like that. Well, that's because there's no preservation techniques that have been undertaken. It's, yeah, it's just, just natural. Natural, yeah. Basically, it dries out. It's like throwing an orange in a dehydrator. Mm-hmm. So when it's really dry, there's not going to be any place for bacteria to thrive. It's the reason beef jerky's not um, refrigerated. If you refrigerate your beef jerky, you're you're doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, if you have beef jerky long enough to need refrigeration, then you're doing something wrong. Or something really, really right. <laughs> as important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, was bought it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jin. I've last hour on the business. I understand now. It's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Oh! Jean! Run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, So desiccation actually works so well sometimes that uh, it can preserve the skin and soft tissues as well, which is something that sedimentary rock cannot do. Have you been to the Smithsonian? I have. They have um, a very cool, I guess, a prehistoric cow or a musk ox. I can't remember. But it's the thing's head. Uh Uh-huh. Much of its back, I guess, the cape, 
Wow. Two of its legs. And the skin's still there. It's just right there. It probably, it's tens of thousands of years old. And it's just sitting right there. Did they rebuild? Glass did they rebuild it or just put the parts up? It's just the parts. Okay, but it's laid out so that like it, it gives you the impression of what you're looking at. But its face is still there. It's very cool. Wow. Uh, my favorite kind of fossil, though, Josh, is <laughs> I'm going to say that like every five minutes uh-huh. is a frozen fossil because yeah. if you get trapped, let's say you're a woolly mammoth trapped in ice, uh, not only is that going to keep other like vultures and things from picking at your bones and skin. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's also going to keep it from breaking down, and you can get hair fully preserved sometimes, have hair seen, and skin, and like a big mammoth. Have you seen pictures of Liuba? No. Liuba is a baby woolly mammoth that was found um, by a reindeer herder in Siberia. Wow. And um, it weighs 92 pounds or something like that, but That's it would adorable. have gotten up to several tons. It, it is adorable because it is a fully preserved Woolly mammoth baby with frozen. the wrinkles in the skin and wow. everything. Yeah, it spent forty five thousand years in the permafrost, uh-huh. but it's like completely intact. It's very cute. That's why it's my favorite. It's one of the cutest dead things you'll ever see. <laughs> uh, another couple of ways you can get a fossil, Josh, which are not my favorite, are uh, tar, La Brea tar pits. Although that is one of my favorites. Which La Brea tar pit is actually redundant because La Brea means the tar, so it's calling it the tar tar, tar, tar pits. pit. Yeah. And not the tartar. <laughs> did I ever tell you about when I shot a commercial there? Have you? Did you go by there in L.A.? No, I want to. I forgot about it when we were there last. Well, if, for those of you who haven't been, it's right in the middle of Los Angeles, like south of Hollywood on Wilshire Boulevard. And it's um, the main tar pit is uh, tar pits are uh, fenced off, obviously, and they have little recreations. It's, it's actually the saddest thing you'll ever see. The recreation they have in there is of a... Like a, I guess it's a mother woolly mammoth trapped in the tar trying to get out, mm-hmm. and the father and the baby on shore like howling at I her. Miss you. It's awful. Yeah, but it's still active. Like all this tar is bubbling up and everything. And I uh, shot a commercial there once, and I was on the other side of the property, far away from the main pit. And I looked down, and there was a little mini tar pit, a little tar puddle, about a foot wide, mm-hmm. bubbling right beneath my feet. I could have scooped it up with my finger if I had been so inclined. Yeah. Instead, you're like, that stinks. Well, it's just crazy to think that that's still like it's happening. Apparently, um, I looked it up. There's, um, there's, like you said, main pits that are chained off and that are still being excavated. But they have them like in neighborhoods all around the area. And, yeah, see, um, I believe it. Parks. They're just kind of all over the place around there. That's like parts of Stone Mountain popping up all over the place. Yeah. We used to have a, a, push a, it back down with your foot. We had a big chunk of Stone Mountain in our backyard growing up. Yeah. All right. For those of you who don't know, Stone Mountain is the world's largest exposed piece of granite, and it is right here in our home state. And it takes like 30 minutes to hike, but you still get to get to the top and be like, I just hiked a mountain. Yeah. Which I have. Josh, you can also get uh, peat. Uh, mossy peat can uh, preserve life forms, including human beings. Like Toland Man? Uh-huh. Was that, who was that? Toland Man? I don't know about him. How do you know all these people? These people. <laughs> the first, the first um, multi-syllable word I could spell was archaeology. Really? I've always been interested in that. I could see that. Yeah. Uh, Tolan man. Also, it, it doesn't. You can hate archaeology like some people hate art, and you'll still be interested in Tolan man. <laughs> yeah. Um, he was. He was found in Denmark. He lived twenty four hundred years ago, and he was murdered uh, sacrificially. They think. And cast into the peat bog, which peat is just decomposing moss and yeah. lots of it. 
but it has a tendency, I think it's anaerobic, so um, tissues preserve really well. Uh-huh. But it's this guy that they dug up, and he's so well preserved that when they found him in the 1950s, they called the cops because they thought they'd found a murder victim. Really? Like a recent one. He um, looks kind of funny, but... <laughs> he's got his whiskers are preserved. Wow. He's wearing a cap. He still has this, the garret around his neck. Um, it's really awesome. You so wh- what is he dated at? Like 24, like 300 to 400 B.C. is when he was killed. And he's wearing a hat? Yeah, a sheepskin leather cap. Really? Yeah. No last chance garage for him? No. <laughs> well. Uh, and then my favorite way, Josh, that you can get a fossil is... Uh, <laughs> You're joking. Did you say it again? I did. Is amber. They just keep getting better and better. Yeah. Like uh, the movie Jurassic Park. Yeah, that's how we get dinosaurs again. Yeah, dino DNA. So you found something on, on whether or not that's feasible, right? Yeah, because I always wondered, you know, you, when you see Jurassic Park, you see the little uh, video they made to, clearly to explain to the movie-going audience how this was done. Right. It's better than Ellen Page running around explaining <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> what was that movie? In Inception. Inception. Um, so the mosquito flies in uh, tree resin. Tree resin eventually becomes hard uh, as copal. Then it eventually becomes inert as amber. You get the little mosquito in there. They extracted the dino DNA from the blood of the mosquito. Yep. Filled in the gaps with, I think, frog yeah, I DNA. Think so. Yeah, and that was all there was to it. And at the time, I thought, bada boom, bada bing, Bon Jovi. Yeah, at the time, I thought that seems plausible, and it sort of is. But uh, I did look up today, and there was a researcher that was interviewed at the or closer to that time, I think, that basically debunked it and said we could potentially maybe get some DNA, even though it's really fragile and loses its signature really quickly. Mm-hmm. You even if you could get the DNA, uh, he said that. Uh, you you couldn't construct a dinosaur. It's just you can't fill in the blanks like that. There's way too many blanks. You'd have a a giant frog, yeah, with little tiny arms, forearms. But Steven Spielberg made us believe when you saw those dinosaurs walk across that field. See, that guy can make me believe in anything. <laughs> that aliens came to the American Southwest. Uh-huh. That there was a World War Two. That um, yeah, sure. Et e. phone home. Yeah, please. Good stuff though. Uh, where are we here? Chuck, we're kind of painting this picture where if like you just stick a shovel anywhere in the earth, you're going to yield like all sorts of bones and fossils. Not true. No, it's not. Um, first of all, the, uh, a mere fraction that I don't think could possibly be calculated because we rely on the fossil record to show us what existed back when, and it's incomplete. Therefore, Theory. we've entered a catch-22. Mm-hmm. But there's a, a just a mere fraction of all of the species and organisms that's ever lived Tiny fraction. that become fossilized. Yeah. Um, uh, like basically a perfect storm of chance has to occur for a fossil to be created. As we've seen, even when it is created, it can still be crushed into oblivion. Um, and so they're few and far between. Yeah, to begin with. But we have to figure out where to find them. Well, then you got to find it. That's the other problem. And the way we find it is by identifying rock that will likely have the type of fossil that we're looking for. Yeah. So if you want something that from that year, so if you know that uh, this <laughs> animal from 1986. Yeah. If you if you know this this animal lived you know 30 million years ago, you're going to go find rock that you know is 30 million years old and start poking around and you know looking. Right. <laughs> it's sort of a very chance thing. And we know that. Um, we know, like, say, a, a layer of rock or a strata of rock is 30 million years old because of a technique we have called radiocarbon dating, right? Yeah. You want to do this one? Well, sure. 
Carbon-14 dating is what a lot of people toss around because that's probably the most well-known. Yeah. But that can only take you back 60,000 years. Yeah. And we're talking millions and billions of years, so they need to uh, study isotopes like potassium-40 mm-hmm. and uranium-238. Right. Because that goes back millions of years, evidently, to half-life. Yeah, and the half-life is where an atom loses half of its life uh, isotopes to decay? Yeah. Okay. And these the, this um, radioactive decay takes place at a predictable rate de- depending on the atom, the type of atom, right? Yeah, that's what, how I understand it. So if we find a type of atom missing X number of isotopes, we can say, well, this is roughly 30 million to 31 million years old or 30 million to... 30 million and 300 years old. Right. I'm not sure what window we can date it to, radiocarbon dating. What that is. But I think it's enough so that, you know, we have a rough estimate of, of, you know, when this fossil lived and the sediment was buried around it. So, Josh, let's say that you're lucky enough and skilled enough as an intrepid paleontologist to come across your fossil. What do you do? Well, as I said, you dig it up and take it to the museum and sell it for 500 simoleons. (laughs) Well, I don't know about that, but you should call a museum. Even if you think you know what you're doing, uh, you're probably going to need some help if it's something major. I think you should probably go on the assumption that you don't know what you're doing. Okay. Unless you're a trained paleontologist. Right. Um, Part of the problem is is we assume that these um, fossils being rocks are sturdy. That's not always the case. No, no. So there's a lot of danger of damage um, in a... uh, uh, just an average Joe trying to excavate them. Also, if you just pull a bone up and walk away with it, uh, it immediately loses context. Yeah, it's like removing a piece of evidence from a crime scene almost. E- exactly. Can't do that. Well, you're not supposed to. Uh, so, you know, they have these huge uh, cranes and uh, digging tools where they can remove huge slabs of earth, which is a really good way to do it. And sometimes if they're, you know, if it's, something that could be fragile, they will remove the entire slab, cast it in plaster, and just go ahead and ship that thing off to a facility to handle it from there. Right. And the cool thing is, is even though uh, rock has formed around this bone... Yeah, that's key. Right up, right all up on it. All up in it. <laughs> if, if you um, flake it away properly, if you flake the surrounding sedimentary rock away, um, you're going to find that there's what's called a plane of weakness. Yeah, it makes sense. Which is where the bone and the rock are still on this very microscopic level. They're not fused together. Mm-hmm. You're going to hit that, and the, the rock should chip right away Right. And, and leave the bone. Yeah, and I think sometimes they missed it with water, too, to soften it up and uh, help the whole process. Yep. Another thing, too, if they find that it's really brittle, they can um, actually reinforce the bone with resin and thin glue. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. 
Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. But you need to be careful there, too. Which is pretty much helping along the fossilization process. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, it's the same thing. It's like reinforcing it with something sturdy. Well, and then you can date it using your little mass spectrometer that's in your pocket. And uh, or a cat scan. Sometimes they use cat scans, computer imaging stuff like that. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get how they were dating it from cat scans. I don't know if they're dating it with a cat scan or just sussing the whole thing out. Gotcha. I don't think it's a dating situation. Tracy was just throwing out some extra tools of the trade, huh? Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. So, um, Chuck, what is all this worth? I mean, it, we, we have a uh, thirst for knowledge, obviously, and sure. people think bones are very cool. Yeah. But ultimately, what's the pursuit of paleontology? To, to put together the piece of the puzzle of uh, how we got here, right? I mean, that's what I think it is. But, yeah, that's my understanding as well. Yeah, and you can learn a lot by not only finding the fossil, but finding what was with the fossil in that same strata. Uh, it can tell you, like... Hey, this is a T-Rex bone, and there's also a bit of pine tree. So we know pine trees were around, mm-hmm. and they may have eaten pine trees. Well, not the T-Rex because they were carnivores, right? Um, yeah, they were herbivore. Let's say, you know what I mean? A brontosaurus, <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, and ultimately, all of these fossils come together, plant, animal, everything that we can get our hands on to form what is called the fossil record, right? Yeah. And this is basically the record of life on Earth. Uh, it's also used to support evolution big time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's here that paleontology gets most contentious, right? Yeah, sure. Because there's um, the the idea that beings evolve, if you go far enough back, from a single common ancestor, right? And so if we can put together a complete fossil record, mm-hmm. we would be able to see how everything alive today evolved from this common ancestor or common ancestors, right? Yeah. The problem is the fossil record's incomplete, right. and one of the really key parts that it's often missing are called transitional fossils, right? My favorite kind of fossil, Josh, is a transitional <laughs> fossil. And uh, one example Tracy used was the baleen whale. Uh, there, there's a picture of one actually in the article, 25 million year old fossil of, of a baleen whale with sharp teeth. Um, today's baleen whales don't have sharp teeth, but we know that ones before this had sharp teeth and legs. Right. So this is a transitional fossil that shows, well, they used to have legs and sharp teeth and they just had sharp teeth and now they don't have legs or sharp teeth. They're defenseless. Which is why they're baleen whales. Right. And not 
sharks. Sure. Or megalodons. Right. Um, so a transitional fossil is one that, that pops up between old and new. And it makes sense. Our understanding of evolution is that it takes a little while and um, something like teeth aren't just going to go away in one generation. Right. It's going to take more and more and more. And then um, we should be able to find them along the way where maybe the teeth get smaller. Or there's fewer and fewer um, baleen whale teeth in the average baleen whale mouth. Yeah, and you're putting together the puzzle. Exactly. Um, again, the fossil record's a little incomplete, and there aren't as many transitional fossils as I think people would like to um, have. Yeah, tie it all together. Right. Um, and then some of the uh, some of the explanations, or probably the most famous explanation for this, is that um, evolution isn't gradual. Uh, I think it's Stephen Jay Gould came up with the idea of punctuated equilibrium, and that is basically that. Um, Evolution takes place suddenly in these huge, quick oh, fits really? and starts, uh-huh. which would explain why there's not, like, teeth don't go away in a generation, but they go away a lot faster than we used to suspect. Gotcha. And that's why the, these um, fossils um, accompanied with the idea that not every animal that's ever died has become fossilized explain why there's huge gaps in the fossil record, which will inevitably always be incomplete. Is that a uh, hypothesis at this point? I guess it is. Not a theory yet. I don't. I don't think so. I think it is a hypothesis. I got one more thing. Okay. I'd like to finish with my favorite kind of fossil, and that is a living fossil. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, Josh, is when you got a plant or animal that looks so much like ancient fossils that they consider it a living fossil, a la the horseshoe crab. Right. Apparently, the horseshoe crab has not changed. Didn't need to. It's perfect. Yeah, look at it. It's gorgeous. What else? Oh, uh, uh, ginkgo biloba plants, and then a word that I don't know. Oh, the coelacanth. What is that? Uh, it's this horrid-looking fish that they... Uh, remember that VW commercial where he's like, it's like the coelacanth, and the guy's like, what? They're looking in the trunk, and he's like, a full-size spare tire. He's like, it's like a coelacanth. They used to think it was uh, extinct. It was a fish, and then they found it like in the 1930s again. But it's this dinosaur-looking fish. Oh, I think I've seen him. That they thought was extinct for millions of years, and they caught him, I think, gotcha. in South America, off the coast of South America. And they're still around. Huh. Living fossil. And the horseshoe crab. And Stephen Jay Gould. And the ginkgo biloba. Well, that's it for fossils, right? That's all I have. I think we got the point across. That's an overview. A fossil is a rock. Just remember that, okay? If you want to learn more about fossils, um, seriously, this is one of the better articles on the site. Tracy did a great job with it. Type fossils into the uh, search bar, the handy search bar, at HowStuffWorks.com, which means it's time for listener mail. Josh, uh, we made a young girl cry. (laughs) That's what I'm going to call this one. Okay. It's probably happened more than once. Uh, Hi, guys. And Jerry, my name is Allie. I'm from Indiana. I was in the ISSMA band contest playing a difficult marimba solo today. I was pretty nervous, but being first chair and the only female percussionist in my school really brought up my confidence. I went in, I choked, and I stumbled through my piece. Hmm. Uh, You get a gold, silver, bronze, or a participation medal. Uh, I got the bronze, which is equivalent to a score of an F, uh, 20%, and I was really upset. Wait, what is participation then? <laughs> That's sub-F. <laughs> I didn't even know they made medals. I thought it was just a ribbon. It's probably a ribbon. 
I was really upset. I got home. I was trying to cheer myself up by listening to your podcast on what's the deal with sinkholes. I really love the show and have listened to almost every one, but in the beginning, you guys talked about how much the bronze medals suck. <laughs> Remember that? Oh, yeah. So we didn't lift your spears very much. Uh, Josh and Chuck, I just want to let you know that the two of you made me cry. That's from Allie, and I've since written Allie back and apologized, and she said that she's feeling much better now, and uh, it wasn't our fault, and I told her that I've choked under pressure many times in my life, and um, it happens, and it'll happen again, and it doesn't mean you don't have the goods with your marimba solo. Every single time. Yeah. But, But you you know, you pick yourself up. Sounds like you gave her some good advice, Chuck. I think so. She seemed receptive to it. Sounds like a sweet girl. I think that's an excellent lead-in. If you have a story about uh, choking, not physically choking, but you, there's something you're good at and you didn't do it well, say you're a television reporter in Los Angeles and you're supposed to <laughs> report on the Grammys, something say, like that. Say you're a podcaster and you have to do a show about the sun. <laughs> that's a good one, too. <laughs> well, we want to hear about it. You can send it to us via email. Just type in where it says to stuff podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.